0: If you want kids to be happier, help them make friends. If you want them to be more engaged in school, help them make friends. If you want them to be less likely to be bullied, friends. It's kind of the answer to everything. Kindness is the key to friendship. It's that simple and that complicated.
1: Hello and welcome to The Daily Helping with Dr. Richard Schuster. Food for the brain, knowledge from the experts, tools to win at life. I'm your host, Dr. Richard. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, and whatever you do, this is the show that is going to help you become the best version of yourself. Each episode, you will hear from some of the most amazing, talented, and successful people on the planet who followed their passions and strive to help others. Join our movement to get a million people each day to commit acts of kindness for others. Together, we're going to make the world a better place. Are you ready? Because it's time for your daily helping. Welcome to the latest episode of The Daily Helping. I'm your host, Dr. Richard, and I'm very excited to present today's guest to you. This is the first episode that we've done which deals with helping children. And whether you're a parent or not, no doubt you will gain something from Dr. Eileen Kennedy Moore, an internationally published author and psychologist based in Princeton, New Jersey. Her newest book, Growing Friendships, A Kid's Guide to Making and Keeping Friends is for elementary school children and their parents. Dr. Kennedy Moore is also the author of two books for parents, Smart Parenting for Smart Kids and the Unwritten Rules of Friendships, plus an audio video series from the great courses called Raising Emotionally and Socially Healthy Kids. She serves on the advisory board for Parents Magazine and blogs for Psychology Today, PBS Parents, and U.S. News and World Report. Dr. Eileen Kennedy Moore is also a trusted media expert And she has appeared on The Today Show and other national television and top related radio shows. She is frequently quoted in major magazines, websites, and newspapers. You can learn more at eileenkennedymore.com or her new website for kids, drfriendtastic.com. Dr. Eileen, welcome to the show. Hello, Dr. Richard. I'm really happy to be here. Outstanding. I I wanted to start because I know you've been doing this for quite a while, and you really are one of the foremost experts in children and friendships. Tell me about how you became interested specifically in, in children's friendships.
0: Oh, that's an interesting story, Dr. Richard. I grew up moving around a lot. So my family, I was born in Chicago, but my family moved to Lima, Peru, and to Madrid, Spain, and back and forth to the States. So basically, we moved about every three years. And I think this had a couple, a few effects on me. The first is our family became very close the second was I became a really good letter writer because various friends had moved away. And back in the day, that's how we kept in touch is writing letters. But the third thing is that I learned a lot about making friends and getting along with different people. I kind of had to.
1: So that, that's interesting, having that upbringing in, in different countries. How, how long was it basically your whole childhood that you were in these different countries? Or how, how did that play out time-wise?
0: Up until high school, when, once I hit high school, the family moved back to the States and, and stayed here. But as a clinical psychologist, I also know how important friendship is for, kid, for kids. So if you think about it, it's really fundamental. If you want kids to be happier, help them make friends. If you want them to be more engaged in school, help them make friends. If you want them to be less likely to be bullied, friends. It's kind of the answer to everything.
1: And in terms of making friends, what research have you been involved in that took a look at friendships and their impact on a child's development?
0: So my own research was about emotions and coping and interpersonal interactions. It's not really until I started my clinical work that I was really focusing on children's friendships. But I do think that that is critically important. You know, I haven't met a a mom in particular who hasn't worried about at least one of their kids' friendships. Normal things like having to make a buddy in a new classroom or having to get over an argument with a friend um, or feeling jealous because a friend is hanging out with somebody else. These are all very typical challenges, but they can be very painful for kids. But the good news is that there's a lot that parents can do to help ease these rough spots and, and teach our kids how to get along with other people.
1: So let's kind of break it down and talk about how children do make friendships.
0: Sure. It grows along with their ability to understand other people's perspectives. So based on research by Robert Selman, we know that there's a beginning level of friendship, which is about ages three to six. Younger kids are very interested in their peers. So like a baby might crawl over and grab the other kid's toy and poke him in the eye. But, but we see the interest there at least, but not much perspective taking. So age three to six is what I call the I want it my way stage. And at this stage, children assume that their friends Think about things the same way they do. So they tend to get very upset when their friend wants to play something that they want to, don't want to do. At this stage, kids love the idea of having friends, but they're not so good at being friends. Once we hit ages 7 to 12, that's what I call the two-way fair weather. Um, by the rules, friendship stage. So at this age, kids are very concerned about fairness. And they think about this in a very quid pro quo way. So if I do this, you have to do that back to me. They tend to be very judgmental about both themselves and others. And they they'll say things like, no one will like me because my haircut looks stupid. They're also very jealous if their friend is playing with somebody else. This is also an interesting age when they tend to make a lot of secret clubs. So there's a lot of talking about the rules and who is or isn't in the club and more talking than actual doing and the clubs tend to evaporate pretty quickly. The next stage is what I call the caring and sharing for age of friendship. And this is for ages eight to 15. So there's some overlap in the different stages because kids develop at, at different rates and here This is more like what we think about with friendships in general. So they they help each other solve problems. They confide thoughts and feelings. They're able to compromise because they're better able to imagine the friend's perspective. And they do things for each other without like keeping score. This is often the joined at the hip stage, especially for girls. They tend to have that buddy and they want to do everything with the buddy. And then finally, We have mature friendship, which is ages 12 and up. And here there's a high value on emotional closeness. They can accept and even appreciate differences between themselves and their friends. And this is also a point where they emphasize trust and support and staying close over time, even if they're separated.
1: It's interesting as you're mentioning these stages. One, the first thing that came to my mind uh, regarding the three to six stage, the I want it now stage, is I, I feel like I know too many adults that are still trapped <laughs> in that stage. But uh, on a serious note, as a question: Do children? I know you said that there's some overlap. Obviously, the two way fair weather stage, the you know caring and sharing. There's certainly some overlap there. But is this kind of on a continuum? Where can kids? Do they progress linearly or do, you know, if there's something like a kid has to, the parents get transferred out of town and then they have to move to a new city, do, can they move backwards on this as well or get stuck, so to speak, on a stage?
0: They definitely can. And this is true of any kind of child development. So they might step forward for a little bit and then have a big argument and step backwards. Family stress or um, school stress can also impact and not pull the best out of kids. But what I think is really interesting about friendship is not only is it fun, but it's also a way for kids to learn. Because caring about a friend or just wanting to continue playing with that friend pulls kids out of that self-centered perspective.
1: And it would it would seem self-evident that if you're stuck at that first stage, that's obviously the worst place to be. What are some of the warning signs that a parent would look for if, to, to see that their kid might need an extra boost to help them move along to a next and, and healthier stage?
0: I think you want to pay attention to the level of distress, and how long it lasts. So everybody's going to have a day or here or there where they just feel blue um, or or they think nobody likes me. But if your child is staying stuck with those feelings, then you might want to consider talking to a psychologist about how to help the child. On the other hand, I have some guidelines about when not to worry. So ask yourself, can your child interact happily with other kids under some circumstances when he or she wants to do so? So some kids tend to be more loners and they, they're true introverts that just need that quiet alone time to recharge. If the kid can interact when they want to, that's okay. There are many, many ways to be social, and we don't all have to be bounding into the room, life of the party extroverts. Another question to ask yourself is, does your child have at least one relationship in which he or she likes and is liked by another child? Do they have someone to hang out with at lunch or recess? This is also really important because a child who doesn't have somebody that the the Likes them back and that they also like is really at risk for being bullied and for being unhappy and for not liking themselves. And then the third question well, is that, that do they have someone to sit with and chat at lunch? Because we don't want them isolated. Sometimes kids do that to themselves. So I've had clients who say, I bring a book to recess but this is not a good idea. Reading, of course, is a wonderful thing, but there's a time and a place. And if your child is hiding behind a book at recess, what they're announcing to all of their peers is, I don't like you and I don't want anything to do with you. And of course, that's not a good message that we want them to be sending out.
1: Very true. And you mentioned recess. This is a bit of a segue, but one of the trends that I've heard of and noticed around the country is that in many school districts, public schools, recesses are being cut to that of 15 minutes for young children. What what would you say, and I'm hoping there's administrators listening to this, as an expert in building relationships to the the impact of having recess for children that is 15 minutes in length?
0: I think that is devastating for young children. Kids need to move. And there's research saying that they learn better when they have that opportunity to be running around and playing. It is just wrong for us to think that Kids should be sitting at their desks the way we adults do. Children are not just short adults. They have different ways of viewing the world, different ways of interacting, different needs. They have to be out there playing. I would also say that there are two things that kids learn in school, the what and the how. And the what are those things. Uh, Facts, they're the content, like what are the four stages of the moon? What are the steps in solving long division? And frankly, Dr. Richard, we're going to forget most of that. (laughs) I couldn't name the four stages of the moon right now. Uh, But that's okay because the what is a vehicle for learning the how. And the how is the process. That's things like how do I get information to stick in my brain? How do I figure out what the boss wants? How do I get my work done efficiently? And most importantly, how do I work well with others? We tend to think about academic and professional skills as something completely separate from social and emotional skills, but they're not. The ability to manage our feelings and to get along with other people, that is fundamental to any kind of success.
1: Uh, No doubt. And I I couldn't agree more with everything you said. My my reaction as well, when I heard that recess is going away in an alarmingly large scale. I I was horrified. So I I was grateful to hear you share that sentiment to be sure.
0: And even if you want to just focus on the academics, there was a study of a school in Texas that increased dramatically how much recess the kids had. And guess what? The kids learned better.
1: I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised at all. Uh, I want to jump back to some information from your your blog. And you spoke about on this, the ingredients of making good friendships for children. So what, what are those? Well,
0: I'm really glad you asked that because for a lot of kids, making friends feels like a mystery. And it, we know a lot about this from research. So step one is that they have to show an openness to friendship. This is basically signaling to people, I like you and I'm interested in becoming friends. So to do this, they have to greet people that they know. Uh, they have to reach out in small ways, like giving someone kind a uh, a compliment or doing a small kindness for somebody. And this just shows peers that they like, <laughs> they, they like people. And we know from research that kind children are usually well-liked by their peers. So this is very important to just signal those things. Shy children often have trouble with this. So they might look down and if somebody greets them, they just kind of mumble something or look away. And this is really sending the message, I don't want to be friends with you. That, that's not how the kids feel, but that's what they're communicating with their nonverbal signals. So this is something that parents can absolutely help with. They can, we can help our kids role play greetings, practice looking the person in the eye, or if that, that's uncomfortable, look them in the forehead right in between the eyebrows. If you look them in the forehead, you can't tell versus looking in the eyes. So look at the person directly, smile like you're happy to see them, say hello, and if you can, say the person's name because that makes the greeting more personal. The second ingredient is similarity. So A very robust finding from research is that kids are more likely to be friends with people who are similar to them. And this could mean age, gender, but most importantly, interests and activity level and personality. A lot of times kids get mixed up here because they have what I call the magnet theory of friendship. And they believe that they have to be so amazing and wonderful that they draw friends to them the way a magnet attracts steel. This is completely wrong because friendship is fundamentally a relationship between equals. So you wanna connect rather than impress. And you wanna pick the people who are like you because those are the ones that you're gonna have the most in common with. And finally, kids make friends by doing stuff together. So the third ingredient, third ingredient of friendship is shared fun. And here, what we want to do is help kids to, to play together. That's, again, why that recess is so important. And from parents' perspective, one of the most helpful things that we can do for our kids is to arrange one-on-one play dates, because that's what allows the friendships to deepen.
1: Hey, guys, Dr. Richard here. You'll be taking the next step on the journey to unlocking the power of you. And I can't wait to see where you'll go. Outstanding. And that's really great information, of course. One of the things I'd like to ask you as an addendum to this, there have certainly been some societal changes in a number of ways in the last, I'd say, 15 years. One of these, the largest, is social media. I recall not all that long ago when it was outrageous to see a youngster with a cell phone and now every kid has an iPhone. So how, from the research you've done, from your experience, how has social media and the connected technology uh, helped and or hampered the development of friendships for children?
0: It certainly seems that friendships are a lot more complicated nowadays than they were in our <laughs> when we were growing up the digital communication adds a whole new level of complexity to the social world for most kids research tells us their their digital connections supplement and support their real life face-to-face connections and and that's really important but we have to keep in mind that digital connections can never replace that face-to-face contact. It's it's an attenuated form of connection because it doesn't have the tone of voice or the facial expression or the body language, which is so fundamental for the communication of emotion. That's why we get so many misunderstandings, even among adults, you know, oh, I thought you meant this, no, I didn't mean that. So that's that's really important. For a lot of kids, it is fun. Video games are fun. <laughs> and and they're a way, especially with boy culture, for, for boys to connect with each other. And I think we have to be careful about not judging what kids' interests, particularly boys' interests. On the other hand, kids very much need us as parents and educators to guide them in this new world. One study I found said that 86% of children will engage in unsafe internet use. We have to be teaching them very explicitly about what is or isn't okay online.
1: To, To compound what you stated, statistically, children begin lying to their parents about their activities on the internet in the third grade. So those two things together are a very bad combination.
0: Right. And here's another thing that curled my hair. The average age for kids encountering porn is 11. So you better be talking about it before then.
1: Agreed. It is. uh, And that's pretty consistent with the research that I've seen as well. And and oftentimes it's innocent. Uh, Oftentimes a child is doing a, a school homework assignment and their job is to, for example, research a Canadian beaver, and something else comes up in their search results in Google. Uh, and once that innocence is lost, it's lost forever. So you're right, that that's certainly on the parents to use internet safeguards, communicate effectively, and do those things to limit that, that interaction.
0: Right, and to talk very explicitly about what kids should do if they encounter either cyberbullying or content that's upsetting to them. So don't try to get rid of it. Go to mom or dad immediately because a lot of these sites that you try to get rid of it and it just pops up more. So, and other guidelines about, it's not okay to forward a message sent by someone else. How would a kid know that unless we tell them? It's not okay to pretend online to be somebody that you're not. It's not okay to say mean things about someone online because those comments live forever and they spread like cancer.
1: That's absolutely true. I, I want to circle back to to something a little different. You've spoken throughout in terms of keys to making friendships. You know the eye contact, the you know the importance of the nonverbal cues. And as we know, the autism is growing rapidly by numbers and has been for a long time in this country, if, and certainly around the world. So what would you say to a parent who has a child on the autism spectrum about some of these things we've been talking about?
0: Don't give up. Your child, some kids struggle to learn math and they need extra help. Your child is somebody who needs extra help learning about getting along, but they absolutely can do that. For kids on the spectrum, it's also often helpful to talk in terms of rules or guidelines. Here's a really important one. If somebody says stop, you need to stop. Kids with ADHD often have trouble with this one as well. So a child will do something and they're trying to be funny, but it's not funny. So they'll do it eight more times, hoping it will become funny, which of course it never does. (laughs) And it just, their peers get very, very angry. So with some kids, I've actually made lists of stop signals. Things like, kids tend to be pretty blunt. So it's stop it, quit it, cut it out. You're being annoying. If you hear one of those things, you need to stop. And that shows caring for your friend. If you keep going, you're going to make them really, really mad. Now, of course, it's hard for some certain kids to stop. So you have to give them some stopping strategies. Sit on your hands. Pretend that your tongue is stuck to the roof of your mouth. Or maybe just move away from your friend a little bit to give them some space so that they won't feel annoyed. And that's one way to take care of your friend's feelings.
1: And you you t- spoke about uh, children on the spectrum, children with executive functioning issues like ADHD, they sometimes don't know when to stop and they or they might upset their friend. So let's talk about how kids make up when they argue, how do they move to going from a disagreement to resolution? And how can parents help with that?
0: Well, that's very interesting. We adults tend to want to talk everything out and let's have a big discussion and we'll go through everybody's feelings. But that's not how kids do it. One study found that it wasn't until age 19 that negotiation becomes the main way that kids resolve conflicts. Isn't that funny? So this doesn't mean that kids who are younger than that can't compromise. It's just it's harder for them. So usually the way children resolve conflicts is they separate a little bit for tempers to cool, and then they just be nice to each other and get back together again. And the separation could be a few minutes, a few hours, or a day.
1: Let's say that you have your cooling off and the kids are separated, but the kids are having a little trouble making up that they're just not able to resolve their issues. What can a parent do? How can a parent step in and, and help out?
0: Usually it's best to coach your own kid. Sometimes it can be helpful to as, have your child practice saying, I'm sorry. And a, a genuine apology will say, The word I, it will say the word sorry, and it will say what you're sorry for doing. And most importantly, it will mention a plan for what you're gonna do from now on or what you're gonna do differently. A sincere apology is a great way to get past a rough patch with a friend. So kids often feel hopeless when they're in a conflict with a friend because they feel like that's the end of everything. And we can really guide them through this. When your child is upset by, about maybe being dumped by a friend, this is not the time to bring up that, well, if you weren't so bossy, (laughs) they're they're feeling vulnerable. So we really want to be on their side, offering the empathy and saying, that really hurts your feelings when that happened, or you're really mad that he did this. After we've offered that empathy Then we can move on to problem solving. So you want to keep empathizing until you you see your child's feelings settle a bit. And then you might ask, well, what do you think you might do? Here's a place where you could either guide them towards thinking about maybe they could apologize. A good rule of thumb, this was back from Dear Abby, is that the person who is least wrong should apologize first. See if your child can explain why that is mainly because it's easier for the person who's least wrong to apologize. The other thing that we wanna talk about is when kids are upset, it's very tempting to retaliate, to try to get even with the other person, maybe by spreading gossip or being extra mean to them. Obviously, this is not gonna lead to resolution. So we wanna discourage that kind of mean behavior. Sometimes, and this is, this is kind of sad, but not everybody's going to like your kid. And sometimes it's worth thinking about the friendship and how do you feel with this kid? If the answer is, usually I feel bad, then it might be worth thinking about other possibilities and maybe fanning the flames on some other friendships. But sometimes the way to be a kind friend is to forgive the other kid. Nobody's perfect. Everybody makes mistakes. With my clients, sometimes I'll actually make a list of forgiveness guidelines. If it just happened once and it's never likely to happen again, let it go. If it happened more than a month ago, let it go. If the person is genuinely sorry, let it go. That's an act of kindness and and generosity. And that's part of being a good friend is being able to forgive our friends for their mistakes.
1: Good advice for adults as well on that, to be sure. I wanted to jump back to something you mentioned earlier about the importance of getting kids together, because that's how friendships deepen. So while this may seem relatively straightforward, there's actually quite a lot to it about getting kids together and how, and how that should happen. Could you talk about that?
0: I'm a big fan of the one-on-one playdates because that allows kids to just focus on each other. And, you know, nowadays, everybody's so busy and the kids are in 8 million activities. It's hard to make time for this unless we really set it as a priority. So it doesn't have to be every day, but... Think about it and think about when you can get your children, give your child the opportunity to do that, that deep friendship so that they can develop the intimacy. So we know from research that one of the main predictors of whether kids become friends is whether they're able to play together. How much time do they spend playing versus arguing or avoiding each other um, or wandering off and doing their own thing? You can help your child with this by prepping them before the play date. So here's something that's very practical. When the other kid comes over, there's always that awkward moment at the beginning where they haven't yet launched into the play. And sometimes it goes like this, what do you want to do? I don't know, what do you want to do? We can skip that if you prep your child by having them greet the friend and then offer two choices of activities. Do you want to go outside and play or do you want to do Legos? So this makes it faster for the kids to get to that fun shared activity. You also might need to tell your child that as the host, it is his or her responsibility to make sure that the friend has a good time. So they want to be noticing. If the friend looks bored, that's a chance to set a new, to suggest a new activity. Uh, definitely don't do wander off and leave your friend all by themselves. And make sure that the friend is doing something enjoyable, not just watching you do stuff, because that's that gets pretty boring pretty fast
1: really great. And I, I think most parents probably don't go out and say, hey, you know, let's prep for this. Let's pick a couple activities. And, and then you run into a situation where you've got a kid kind of not, not on his own turf, and you might have some issues there about what they want to do and, and how that works. So that's that's really makes a lot of sense.
0: It's also helpful as a parent to just kind of keep your ear out, and if the the a conflict is brewing, that's a good time to leap in there and say, "Hey, who needs a snack?" <laughs>
1: right. Very good, uh, Doctor Eileen. I wanted to talk about some of your books because I know you've written a number of books, and I, I definitely want to spend some time talking about Doctor Fantastic. But before we do, would you mind sharing about your earlier books and? And I'm sure a lot of that has to do with what we've talked about thus far. But what specifically parents are going to get out of the books that you've created?
0: Well, my first book for parents is called The Unwritten Rules of Friendship. And that looks at nine examples of typical kids who struggle socially. And it spells out what are the social guidelines that these kids haven't learned on their own? And how can parents and teachers help? So all of my books are really about translating research into usable information for parents and kids. I have a mile wide practical streak. Then the next book I wrote for parents is called Smart Parenting for Smart Kids. And this one is about the social and emotional skills that kids really need to develop and that are sometimes eclipsed by a focus on academics and developing those performance-based skills. So it focuses on things like tempering perfectionism, building connection, dealing with authority, and most importantly, finding joy. Then my new book that, that's coming out July 2017 is a book that I'm very excited about. It's called Growing Friendships, A Kid's Guide to Making and Keeping Friends. So this one has some cartoons that describe common friendship problems. Then the narrator comes in and says, well, here's what's going on and offers research based tips about what here's what you can do. But the stars of the book are a cat and dog character who wander through the text, making goofy suggestions like he should sniff their butts. (laughs) So it's very funny and very, very silly and very child friendly. Because I think kids are often afraid of learning friendship skills if it's shoved down their throat and here, this is what's wrong with you. You need to do better. So this is very lighthearted, but also very serious because these are fundamental skills that kids really need.
1: And I'm so glad that you said that, you know, but it's the social development, it's that piece which really isn't emphasized by the school systems. So to hear you saying how critical that is, is really important.
0: And, you know, Dr. Richard, it's not just for kids. So it's not like we master friendship skills at age nine and then we're done. Even as adults, in new relationships or new situations, we're continuing to learn about getting along with people and being able to step out of ourselves and understand someone else's perspective.
1: That's absolutely true. And it is a skill that's critical. And it's a skill that I think, as I mentioned somewhat jokingly, that's stuck in the I wanted my way stage. A lot of people never really master that.
0: It's also a skill that takes effort. It's easy to go uh, along on automatic pilot and say, well, everybody's pretty much like me and everybody thinks about things like me. But it's so important to do that decentering away from just our own concerns and our own view. It's important to prevent bullying. It's important to have it for good marriages. It's important for strong communities. I think it's everything.
1: Very, very true, Dr. Eileen. And as ever, I want to wrap our show with a question that I ask everybody, and that is, what is your biggest helping for the audience, the single most important piece of information for a listener to walk away with after hearing this episode?
0: Kindness is the key to friendship. It's that simple and that complicated. There are a lot of criteria that our kids may or may not meet. They may or may not make it onto the travel soccer team or the advanced math class or the advanced choir. But kindness is something that every child can achieve, and they can do it multiple times every single day.
1: Well said. Well said. Dr. Eileen, uh, you mentioned your book is coming out, your newest book coming out in July of 2017. And we will, of course, have links to that, not only on the Daily Helping website, but also in our app. Where can people find you online?
0: You can find me at eileenkennedymoore.com. And also, I have a new website for children, called DrFriendtastic.com. So this has friendship questions and advice. It has a lot of silly qu- quizzes about friendship. So there are questions like, your friend says he or she wants to play with someone else at recess today. What should you do? A, yell, you traitor, um, or B, something reasonable. So again, it's a it's a playful and funny way to get the important information information that kids need about learning about how to get along. And it also has friendship quotes and facts and um, cute, fr- cute pictures of animal friends just for fun. So I'm very excited about that site. I also have a blog on psychology today called growingfriendshipsblog.com. So that would be information for parents.
1: Wonderful. I did see uh, the video that you sent me, then it involved the cat and the dog. And, uh, you know, that video was about the book that that's forthcoming. Uh, What is really the age ranges you're targeting with that?
0: Growing Friendships is for children ages 6 to 12. So it's really covering the elementary school and early middle school years.
1: It's where it seems to matter the most, for sure. Very good. I am so grateful for your time, Dr. Eileen, and thank you, everybody, for listening today. As ever, if you liked what you heard, please go subscribe to the show on iTunes, leave us a five-star review. That's how other people find out about this show. Now, go out there, do something nice for somebody else, even if you don't know them. Post it in your feeds using the hashtag MyDailyHelping because everybody knows the happiest people are those that help others.